السلام علیکم و رحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ Welcome all of you to this class and uh, we learn about the companions Abu Sa'id al-Khudri radiyallahu anhu in particular whenever people would travel to him in order to hear about him learn from him about the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam he would always welcome them first he would say marhaban bi wasiyati rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wasallam welcome as per the instruction of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam so in the same tradition i welcome all of you also that you have come out this evening and inshallah you'll be coming out for many more evenings friday evenings to learn the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam so with this inshallah we will begin our class a'udhu billahi minash shaitanir rajeem bismillahir rahmanir rahim wassalatu wassalamu ala rasulihi alkareem rabbi shrah li sadri wa yassir li amri وَحْلُلْ عُقْدَةً مِّن لِسَانِي يَفْقَهُ قَوْلِي اللَّهُمَّ اهْدِ قَلْبِي وَسَدِّدْ لِسَانِي وَسْلُلْ سَخِيمَةُ قَلْبِي آمِنْ يَا رَبِ الْعَالَمِينَ So inshallah in today's class uh, we will briefly go over the importance of studying hadith and also a little bit about the book of hadith that we are going to study. And the book of hadith that inshallah we'll be studying is which book? Sahih Bukhari, right? So a little bit about the author of this book and a little bit about this book and this will help you appreciate why this book is given so much importance. So first of all when it comes to studying hadith the question is that why is it important to even study hadith? A lot of times people wonder that is the Quran not enough? Is it not enough for us to just learn the Quran what it says? Is it really important to learn about the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam? And then that huge question about is hadith even reliable right have you ever heard about this or maybe have you ever entertained such thoughts yourself maybe i remember i used to wonder a lot that how do we know hadith is authentic because when you look at a chain of narration you see so and so heard from so and so who said that so and so said who said that so and so said right and i remember as a child this was what chinese whispers right and you know broken telephone what happens is that one person says one thing at the beginning and by the end it's completely distorted isn't it but there's a reason for that why is it distorted by the end because people like us are transferring that statement or that word and then we're whispering it into each other's ears when it comes to hadith study remember that its authenticity is an entire academic field it's an entire science which i can frankly not go into right now but it is an established science within islam an accepted science academic field within our religion and there are literally you know books and books and there's an entire methodology of determining how we can figure out whether or not hadith is authentic when it comes to sahih bukhari the book that we're studying inshallah this book is known to be authentic because imam bukhari has already done all the work for us he's already done all the work for us so when we take a hadith from sahih bukhari we can take it you know with confidence that inshallah whatever is in it is authentic so when it comes to studying hadith is it even important we learn in the quran that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that laqad manna allahu 'ala al-mu'minin idh ba'atha fihim rasulan min anfusihim that allah has indeed conferred a huge favor upon the believers when he sent a messenger from among themselves and what does this messenger do the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam what was he supposed to do he was supposed to yatlu alayhim ayatihi his first job was to recite the verses of allah to the people convey the quran to them but was that all he was supposed to do no the ayah says wa yuzakkihim and he also purifies them 
by teaching them what is good and what is bad and by helping them get rid of bad habits and develop good morals and characteristics and then the prophet's job was also to yu'allimuhumul kitaba wal hikma he was also supposed to teach them the book and wisdom notice over here the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam didn't just recite the quran to people and let them interpret it figure it out themselves right what do we see here yu'allimuhum he taught them the book he taught them its meaning its application that how is it supposed to be really followed how a person is to understand the quran and live it so this is why the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam was sent in the quran we also learn that wa anzalna ilayka dhikra we have revealed the message to you litubayyana linnasi ma nuzila ilayhim so that you may clarify to the people what has been revealed to them so The Prophet Wasallam's work was to explain the Qur'an to us. So really it would be not possible for a person to understand the Qur'an without looking at what the Prophet Wasallam did, what he said, what he taught. So we cannot separate the life and teachings of the Prophet Wasallam from the Qur'an. They both go together. You can understand this as the Quran is the book of Allah and the Prophet ﷺ was sent as a teacher. The role of the teacher is to explain you know, the content to you. You could read it yourself and try to figure it out yourself, but I'm sure you've done that, missed all the classes and then try to go through the whole book before the exam, right? Or right before you have to write an essay. How does that go? How does that work? Does it work? It doesn't work. There are so many concepts that you misunderstand, that you gloss over. And you realize later about how important they were. Now, when it comes to the Qur'an, this is not a matter of a semester or a year or a degree. This is a matter of our eternity. We have to understand our deen so that we can properly follow it, so that we can attain the pleasure of Allah, so that we can have Jannah for eternity. So leaving the hadith would be really a disservice to ourselves because the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam he explained the quran to us now when it comes to the book that inshallah we'll be studying which is sahih bukhari very briefly inshallah I want to go over the exact name of the book uh, the author the status of this book and the structure of this book so first of all the name of this book what is the exact name of this book you can see it on the screen it's in arabic and as you can see it's a very long name and you can understand the name as basically the preface of the book it really tells you about what the book is and what it contains so first of all sahih bukhari it is called al jami' al musnad al sahih al mukhtasar min umuri rasulillah sallallahu alayhi wasallam wa sunanihi wa ayyamihi what does this mean first of all al jami' Al-Jamir is basically a type of a book. All right, it's a type of a book. What kind of a book is Al-Jamir? Al-Jamir is a book that covers all of the major sciences of Islam. All right? It covers all of the major topics, major topics of Islam. What kind of topics? Topics related to, for example, faith. What are we supposed to believe in? when it comes to believing in the prophets for example what exactly do we believe when it comes to believing in the hereafter what exactly do we believe when it comes to believing in allah subhanahu wa ta'ala what exactly do we believe likewise al-jami' covers the topic of 
different rulings. So for example, rulings pertaining to cleanliness or prayer or zakat or hajj. Likewise, it also covers the topic of maghazi, which is basically the life of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and also etiquette, etiquette related to eating, drinking, clothing, so on and so forth, as well as tafsir, the interpretation of the Quran. So this is why Sahih Bukhari is called al Jamir because in it you won't just find a hadith related to the Prophet's life, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. You will also find a hadith related to zakat or tafsir. Secondly, al-musnad. Musnad is also a kind of a book and it's a kind of a book which has a hadith in it, the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ. Basically, the hadith is such that the sanad or the chain is also mentioned. When you quote a hadith somewhere or when you read it in an article or a book, how do you find the hadith? It just says the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam said quotes and quotes and then the reference. Right? But when you open up Sahih Bukhari, which I'm sure you did today, did you find anything different in the hadith? The some names at the beginning, isn't it? So and so narrated from so and so on the authority of so and so. So this is a sanad. Alright, this is called a sanad. So a musnad is a book in which the ahadiths are recorded with their isnad. You know, for example, there is a hadith book, Riyadhus Salihin. Have you heard of that? In Riyadhus Salihin, you don't find the complete isnad. Because in Riyadhus Salihin, what the author has done is that he's basically taken a hadith from Bukhari, from Muslim, from different books of hadith, and he's given the references. So, in Sahih Bukhari, you will actually find a complete chain all the way from Imam Bukhari to, to who? To the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So this is why it's called a musnad. Then it's called a sahih. Sahih means authentic, meaning every hadith in this book is authentic according to the research, the methodology of Imam Bukhari. And then it is called al muhtasar. Al muhtasar means that it is brief. Now you might say, well, I heard that there is over 7,000 hadith in Sahih Bukhari. Is that brief? It's not brief. However, when it comes to the number of hadith that are out there, Sahih Bukhari is actually very short. When it comes to the actual number of hadith out there, then Sahih Bukhari is very short. So that's why it's also called Al-Mukhtasar. And it is min umuri Rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. It has the a hadith which mentioned the umur, the affairs or the matters, the circumstances of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So basically, we will find a hadith in which the statements of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam are mentioned, or his actions are mentioned, or in some hadith we will learn about the, the circumstances, the life events, in other ahadith, we will see different things that the Prophet ﷺ approved of. وَسُنَنِهِ وَأَيَّامِهِ وَسُنَنِهِ Sunan is the plural of sunnah. So the ways of the Prophet ﷺ, meaning his legal judgments or the teaching that he gave. وَأَيَّامِهِ and his biography, you could say, and the major events of the life of the Prophet ﷺ. So this is basically what Sahih Bukhari is about. 
So what do you understand? What exactly is in Sahih Bukhari? Raise your hand. What exactly is in Sahih Bukhari? Go ahead. Okay, so a hadith on various topics, many different topics, good. What else is in Bukhari? Okay, all of the narrations are authentic. What else? Yes, go ahead. Okay, good. We will come across a hadith with mention in detail about the life of the Prophet wasallam. Good. Very good. So the hadith are mentioned with their chains of narration. Right? So the proof is also given. When you write an essay, let's say in grade 6, how do you write the essay? Do you put any references? No, you don't. But when you write an essay in university, then how do you write it? With the references, right? And if you don't put the proper references then is that problematic? It could be a big issue, right? So you have to put the references. So Imam Bukhari has mentioned the hadith with their isnad. So isnad is like reference. It shows where the hadith came from. Now, about the author, Imam Bukhari. Who was Imam Bukhari? Imam Bukhari, his name is Abu Abdullah. Abu Abdullah is his kunya. All right? Literally, it means father of Abdullah. His actual name was Muhammad. Alright, Muhammad ibn Ismail. Ismail was his father, and his grandfather was uh, Ibrahim. Alright, and then his great grandfather was Mughira. Alright, so Abu Abdullah, Muhammad bin Ismail bin Ibrahim bin Mughira bin Bardizbe al Jurfi al Bukhari. Alright, al Bukhari, he's called al Bukhari because he was from Bukhara. Alright, Bukhara is a place. So he was from Bukhara and this is why he was known as Bukhari. This is similar to how if somebody is from Somalia, they're called Somali. If they're from Pakistan, they're called Pakistani. If somebody's from Canada, what do you call them? Al-Kanadi, right? Or Canadian. Okay, so this is Nisba, right? It shows you where this person is from. Now, Imam Bukhari, he was born in the year... Uh, 194 after Hijra, the year 194 after Hijra, which corresponds to 810. And Imam Bukhari attended hadith gatherings from a very young age. We learned that he started attending the gatherings of hadith at the age of six or seven. And at the age of 16, Imam Bukhari went for Hajj to Mecca with his mother and his brother. And after Hajj, he did not return home. He stayed in Mecca. And from there he went to Medina. And he basically remained in the area of Hijaz because this is where many of the centers of knowledge were. So he went from place to place, different teachers of Hadith, learning Hadith from them. We learned that Imam Bukhari wrote Hadith from over 1,000 people. From over 1,000 people. And of the most famous people from whom Imam Bukhari took hadith is, for example, Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal, Ishaq ibn Rahwe, Yahya ibn Ma'in. These are names that may be unfamiliar to us, but when it comes to the study of hadith, the study of our religion, then these names are very big names. Also, many people took hadith from him. Many people learned hadith from Imam Bukhari. And one thing that will show you about the students of Imam Bukhari is that Imam Muslim, who is the author of Sahih Muslim. Right? Have you heard of that book, Sahih Muslim? So the author of that book, Imam Muslim, was a student of Imam Bukhari. Then you may have heard of the hadith book, At-Tirmidhi. 
Right? So Imam At-Tirmidhi was also a student of Imam Bukhari. Then you may have heard of the book Sunan An-Nasai. And again, Imam An-Nasai was the student of Imam Bukhari. So Imam Bukhari uh, was known for his knowledge of hadith, and he authored over 20 books. So Sahih Bukhari is not the only book or only collection of Imam Bukhari. There is many other collections or books by Imam Bukhari. And that just shows us about his level of knowledge. He's well known for his strong memory. And perhaps in later classes, I'll mention to you different stories from his lifetime. And Imam Bukhari also possessed very beautiful character. Al-Husayni, he said that Muhammad ibn Ismail, meaning Imam Bukhari, had many good qualities but three of them in particular defined his character. And what were they? First of all, he spoke very little. He spoke very little. Secondly, he was not greedy for what people had. He had no interest in what the people had. And thirdly, he did not occupy himself with the affairs of people. He would basically mind his own business. He dedicated all of his time to knowledge. So we can see that these three characteristics, really, they shaped him and they helped him become who he was. When it comes to this book, Sahih Bukhari, we could talk a lot about how and why it is the most authentic, but we can just see it in the words of the scholars of this ummah, Imam al-Nawawi. Have you heard of his name? Imam al-Nawawi. He said about Sahih Bukhari that all scholars are in agreement that after the Qur'an, the two Sahihs of Al-Bukhari and Muslim are the most authentic books. They're known to be most authentic books. Now the fact is that people criticized Imam Bukhari in his lifetime. There were people who criticized him after his lifetime and there are people who will criticize him today. And they will say things about him that are very inappropriate. But we are in no position to criticize a person like Imam Bukhari when Imam al-Nawawi is saying this about his book. Then we have Ibn Kathir. Ibn Kathir is the author of the famous tafsir, tafsir Ibn Kathir. He said that the people of Islam have all agreed that the sahih of al-Bukhari is to be accepted and that it is authentic. This is the status of this book. So really we are very fortunate that we can actually, when we're going to be studying hadith, we're just going to focus on the text and not worry about the chain. We don't have to worry about the names. If there's something of interest, then inshallah we can look at that. But in general, we don't have to worry about the chain because Imam Bukhari has done that entire work. We just have to appreciate and benefit from the text that is being narrated. Now, when it comes to the structure of this book, how exactly is this book laid out? This book has 97 Chapters, you could say. And a chapter in Arabic is called kitab. When we think of kitab, we think of book. So yes, it is technically 97 books, but don't think of it as 97 volumes. right? Consider it to be 97 chapters, because that's how we look at different sections of a book. So it has 97 books, and a hadith are under chapter headings. Now in some um, books actually, some versions of Bukhari, depending on the publisher you'll find a different division of books because in some versions you'll find two books put under one topic and in other versions you will find them split up. 
Alright, so don't worry if you see, oh well, this book has 99 chapters, or this book has 95 chapters, what's going on over here? It's approximately around this number, 97. The way this book is laid out is that in each chapter, Imam Bukhari has given chapter headings. Alright, chapter headings. And those are called abwab. So before hadith you will see, bab, something, 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 and then a hadith is mentioned. So that bab is, bab literally means door, it doesn't mean an actual door, it's, it's a chapter heading, it's a heading, a new topic. So these chapter headings are actually very meaningful. Basically, in this book, Imam Bukhari has not simply recorded authentic hadith. He has actually, Imam Bukhari was also a faqih, he was also a jurist. So, he also proved certain things in this book with the help of a hadith. So the fiqh, the understanding of Bukhari is where? In the chapter headings. So look at the chapter headings as a commentary basically. And when it comes to the chapter headings, they should not be rushed. And inshallah when we're going to be studying, we're not going to just gloss over the chapter headings, we're actually going to uh, look at them and understand what exactly is being mentioned over there. One more thing we have to understand about uh, Sahih Bukhari is Al-Mu'allaqat. Mu'allaqa basically means something that is suspended, something that is hanging. And Mu'allaqat refers to those narrations which Imam Bukhari has recorded in this book without the sanad, without the chain. Now you might say, well, Sahih Bukhari was supposed to be a musnad. Right? The thing is that Imam Bukhari had very, very strict conditions when it comes to the authenticity of hadith. Basically, what sets him apart is that he would not record a hadith unless and until he had made sure that each person had actually met the person he was taking the hadith from. And that had to be clearly indicated by the wordings used by the narrators. So for example, if the narrator says, I heard, or so-and-so narrated to us, or so-and-so informed, then that means that the two people have met. Correct? But if there is an ambiguous term used, or if it cannot be proven that the two actually met, even though the two were contemporaries, Imam Bukhari would not accept that hadith. Now Imam Muslim actually was more lenient. He was more lenient. But Imam Bukhari was very, very strict. He wanted only grade A material. Alright, grade A, like perfect. Without even the slightest of flaw. So this is why when you have such a strict condition, then your options are limited. So in some places we see that Imam Bukhari is proving something but he does not have a hadith that is really at that highest level of authenticity. But that topic is important. That point is very important. So Imam Bukhari will mention that it has also been narrated, all right, and then a hadith is mentioned. And that hadith actually you'll find in Sahih Muslim. You will find in other books of hadith, but you will not find in Bukhari. All right, so this is known as mu'allaqat. Now inshallah when we study the book, as they come, I will inshallah show you, inshallah. So these are mu'allaqat. Now, one more thing you should understand is that in the chapter heading, Imam Bukhari will sometimes bring an ayah of the Qur'an. Alright, you will find a verse of the Qur'an. Sometimes you'll find statements of other scholars. 
and sometimes you will just find a hadith. When it comes to the number of hadith in this book, again, there is a difference of opinion. The reason is that some people considered one chain to be one chain. Some people considered where two chains are combined together to be two different chains. So this is why there is a difference in numbering. Ibn Hajar says that there are 7,563 ahadiths. Alright, 7,563 ahadiths. One more thing you should know is that in Sahih Bukhari, there's a lot of repetition. Repetition of hadiths. Which is actually very good because it's easy to understand. So this is just an overview of Sahih Bukhari. Very quickly, I would also like to go over the etiquette of hadith study. Remember that when we're studying sacred knowledge, whether it is the knowledge of the Qur'an or the knowledge of the sunnah, then this is not just a study. This is an act of worship. Al-ilmu ibadah. That seeking knowledge can also be worship. And when it comes to worship, if we are seeking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's pleasure through it, then it must be done the right way. It must be done with the proper etiquette. So when it comes to studying hadith, First of all, it's very important that we have the right intention. We must have the right intention. And what is that intention? Why should we study hadith? What's our end goal? Exactly. To seek the approval of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We are learning hadith so that we can know what the Prophet ﷺ taught, so that we can bring it into our actions, so that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will be pleased with us. That should be our intention. Not that, okay, let me see what is in the hadith so that I can you know, quote them and prove to people that, you know, I know stuff. No, that should not be our intention. In a hadith we learned that if anyone acquires knowledge that should be sought, seeking the face of Allah alone, but he acquires it to get some worldly advantage, that is his main goal, then he will not experience the fragrance of paradise. If a person seeks knowledge that should only be sought for the sake of Allah. But he seeks it only for some worldly gain, whether it is fame or to impress people or to defeat them in argument or whatever that intention is, some worldly gain. Then such a person will not even experience the fragrance of paradise. So it's very important for us to you know, keep correcting our intention when we are studying the hadith. The second thing is that we must pay attention when it comes to studying hadith and we must show respect to the hadith also. When it comes to showing respect uh, to the hadith, then that is done in a number of ways. First of all, tahara, cleanliness. You know, please make sure that inshallah when you come for the study, you know, I understand it's the end of the day, but make sure you come fresh. You know, Imam Malik, whenever he would narrate hadith, sometimes he would be at home in his bed. But if somebody would ask him, and he was about to narrate hadith, he would actually get up. He would sit up. He would comb his beard. He would make wudu. He would sit up straight, and then he would mention the words of the Prophet wasallam. You know, this is narrated about him. He would comb his beard. So this cleanliness is very important. Cleanliness of the body, of the clothing, of the mouth. Also we show respect to the study of hadith by sitting with proper adab. Remember that when Angel Jibreel came to the Prophet ﷺ and he asked him the questions about what is Islam and what is Iman and what is Ihsan. 
In hadith it is mentioned that he sat, Jibreel sat, the way we sit in salah. How exactly do we sit in salah? Do we recline or sit casually like we're sitting in our living room? Not at all. We sit very attentively. Our posture is very straight. And, and there is also some level of humility. So he sat like that when he was learning from the Prophet ﷺ. So here as we are learning the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, about his life, about his teachings, then again we have to show the proper adab and khushur. Also we learn that Hussein al-Mu'allim, he said that Muhammad ibn Sirin, who was a famous scholar, Muhammad ibn Sirin, he would be talking and laughing, but whenever hadith came, he would become silent. Whenever hadith was mentioned or when he would have to narrate hadith or when hadith was narrated before him, he would observe complete silence as respect for the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ. We also learned that one of the scholars said that the first door to knowledge is as-samt, meaning observing silence. The second door to knowledge is istima, listening attentively. The third door to knowledge is al-amal. Acting upon what you have heard. And the fourth door is spreading that knowledge, passing it on. That is how you acquire knowledge. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in the Quran that Ya ayyuhalladina amanu, la tarfa'u aswatakum fawqa sawtin nabi. That O you who believe, do not raise your voices above the voice of the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And do not address him the way you address one another. Don't talk to him the way you talk to one another. Now, in his lifetime, of course, this is you know clear how it's supposed to be done. But after he's no longer with us, how are we supposed to show that respect? That when his hadith comes before us, yes, we try to understand it. Yes, we question, we try to reason. But we never object. This is part of respecting the hadith. That we have to learn it with iman, with adab, with khushur. You know, there might be some things we come across in the hadith that we might find difficult to understand. We might find difficult to comprehend. So try to reason with it. Question. Try to understand. But all of that with respect. And the last thing is, which is part of respect, is that when we hear, when we read the hadith, let us not forget to say, Sallallahu alayhi wasallam. The Prophet ﷺ said that the nearest people to me on the Day of Judgment will be those who invoke most blessings on me. Those who send the most salat on me will be the nearest to me. And uh, Ibn Hibban, he recorded this hadith and authenticated this hadith and he said that this is proof that the nearest people to the Prophet ﷺ on the Day of Judgment will be the people of hadith. Why? Why do you think so? Exactly. Because when you study hadith, when you listen to hadith, when you write hadith, when you are learning it over and over again so that you can do a test, maybe there will be tests in this class. So what happens is that you end up taking the name of the Prophet ﷺ a lot. And this is why you say ﷺ a lot. So this is a blessing. And alhamdulillah we are blessed to have this class on a Friday evening. Right on a Friday, when we are encouraged to send salat on the Prophet ﷺ very frequently, and especially this time when du'as are accepted, and if we're sitting in a gathering of hadith, 
we hope that inshallah this is a gathering which is surrounded by the angels a gathering in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's mercy descends so that we are given by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala what we could not even ask for if we were to ask him because many times it happens that we are asking Allah and we don't even know what to ask but if we are busy in the remembrance of Allah in the study of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam we hope that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will bless us with his mercy and give us more than what we could even expect or imagine so inshallah uh, with this we conclude the introduction uh, to sahih bukhari i would like you to quickly uh, stand up stretch a little bit send salat on the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam yourself okay inshallah so we will uh, begin uh, with the study of sahih bukhari So in this class inshallah we'll be studying Kitabul Zakat. So you have the book with you inshallah. And we will begin from bab number 20, page number 13. Inshallah we'll begin from there and the reason is that I've already taught the the previous ahadith. This is an ongoing uh, class of Sahih Bukhari. So if you're interested in learning about the commentary of the previous ahadith you can always uh, refer to the recordings inshallah. Very quickly I would like to tell you about where this explanation is going to be coming from. I'm no scholar, I'm just a student and I am going to simply convey in English what I'm going to read in this book. And this book is basically explanation of Sahih Bukhari by Sheikh Muhammad ibn Salih al-Uthaymin. And the second book that I refer to is the explanation of Sahih Bukhari by Ibn Hajar. Right, so these are the two main references. Almost everything that is going to be mentioned in this class is going to be based on these two books. It's important for you to know the source also, right? Where this is coming from. And if ever you want to know about the exact references, uh, feel free to ask. Inshallah. 